That is the sound you never want to hear. It is the sound of the warning siren going off at a nuclear power plant. When you hear that sound, it means you are in the nuclear hot seat. Welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat, the weekly podcast keeping you up to date on all things anti-nuclear, with an emphasis on empowering you, me, and we the people to an activist response. My name is Libby Halevi. And I was staying with friends one mile from the nuclear reactor at Three Mile Island when the nuclear accident happened there. That is why I produce and host this podcast, because I know firsthand that whether you can hear those sirens or not, we are all in the nuclear hot seat. Today is Tuesday, December 6, 2011, day 270, that's 270, since the Fukushima tragedy began on March 11th. And here is the latest nuclear news. Uh, this was picked up by the New York Times. Lots of radiation news out of Japan. This is the big one, that there are increasingly grave scenarios coming out of Fukushima. TEPCO finally sent out a press release that admitted that the fuel may be approximately 1 foot 37 centimeters away from a crucial steel barrier. Now, if TEPCO is admitting to 37 centimeters, heaven only knows what the truth of it is, because we know that they have every step of the way downplayed as much as they could their own responsibility. If they're admitting to this, they're admitting to something very major. Uh, according to this report, in the number one reactor, the overheated fuel may have eroded the primary containment vessel's thick concrete floor, and it may have gotten almost within a foot of a crucial steel barrier. This according to TEPCO's uh, press release, which was based on a new simulation that they did. Beneath that steel layer, layer is a concrete basement, which is the last barrier before the fuel would have begun to penetrate the earth. In other words, China syndrome. These findings are the latest in a series of increasingly grave scenarios presented by TEPCO about the state of the reactors. The company initially insisted that there was no breach at any of the three most damaged reactors. It later said that there might have been a breach, but that most of the nuclear fuel had remained within the containment vessels. However, now it is being shown that the containment vessels may have, that there may have been 100% of the fuel at Unit 1 slumped quote-unquote, which is a term used to say that it leaked out of the primary containment vessel. In addition, the simulation suggests that the fuel has bored more than two feet into the concrete. Uh, this is according to a scientist, a uh, Mr. Uh, Matsumoto, um, who was um, uh, published in a Japanese newspaper. Now, it's still an overly optimistic situation according to the way TEPCO has presented this. This according to Horikai Koide, an assistant professor of physics at Kyoto University Research Reactor Institute. Uh, TEPCO would very much like to say that the outermost containment is not completely compromised and that the meltdown stopped before the outer steel barrier, he said, but even by their own simulation, it's very borderline. And realize that this is by a simulation, not the reality. The equipment in the reactor is uh, not capable of functioning because the radiation long ago outstripped its ability to record it. So we don't know the facts except that this continues to be a very dangerous situation. Now, according to um, a uh, German radiation expert, a Dr. Sebastian Flugbeil, he's chairman of the German Society of Radiation Protection. He gave a lecture in Berlin recently on uh, December 2nd. This is according to Fukushima Diary by Mokazuki. Um, 
uh, he gave a lecture in Berlin and he talked about Tokyo. And when he was questioned about minimizing damage from Fukushima, he said that there was nothing that could be done. Quote, there is no way to stop the nuclear fuel that has melted through continuing to leak. All we could do is to pray for the fuel not to touch the underground water vein. Because as we have heard, uh, if it hits the water vein, it can set off a hydrovolcanic explosion, uh, which is something we really don't want. It could take out a major portion of Japan. Uh, when on Tokyo, again, this is Dr. Flugbeil from uh, Germany, uh, Tokyo is not the safe area. Now, Tokyo is in the similar situation to Kiev in Chernobyl. The Ukrainian government, which didn't want to evacuate this densely populated area, the Ukrainian government did not admit Kiev was threatened and manipulation, it manipulated the radiation map to look like plutonium stopped just before Kiev. That's right, it hit the city limits and decided, oops, time to stop. So we are facing the possibility of China syndrome in at least one, if not more than one, of the nuclear reactors at Fukushima, uh, in addition to which we have um, the spent fuel pool, which had uh, 40 years of fuel rods in it, which is also severely compromised. So that's that part of news out of Fukushima. Uh, there was a possible fire near the reactor that showed up on the Fukushima webcam. We've gotten no confirmation except for what we can see in the videos. Uh, pictures were posted on the Nuclear Hot Seat group page. And uh, it's quite dramatic. It's uh, quite illuminating, especially since the fire in various pictures seems to have been growing. No admission from uh, TEPCO or the Japanese government as to what that was all about. Now, the radiation in Japan is very bad. Over the weekend, the, there were 5.8 trillion becquerels of strontium released from Fukushima. This was into the water. Now, I don't know, I still don't understand the relative radiation measurements. I just know when they use the T word, trillions, this is not good. Um, that TEPCO said that a check on Saturday, this past Saturday, had found no sign of where the leak was coming from, but suggested that it began on Saturday night or early Sunday morning. The company said it was exploring ways to stop any more water from escaping. Oh, isn't it too late for that? Just for a sense of perspective, during the peak of Chernobyl, the Black Sea was registering 1,000 becquerels per cubic meter of water. At Fukushima's peak, it was 100,000 becquerels. This was in the past. And then over the weekend, 5.8 trillion becquerels. When Chernobyl, at its worst, was 1,000 becquerels. So if anybody is still engaging in the conversation as to whether uh, Fukushima is as bad as uh, Chernobyl was, I think we can safely say that it is well beyond that. Now, uh, it, rumors are spreading in Japan because there's no official word on it, but the rumors say that leukemia cases are up seven times from last year. This was as a report on November 21st, a survey of medical associations of the local governments in Japan for April through October that leukemia cases have increased seven times since last year. Sixty percent of the total leukemia cases are acute leukemia, this is the highest ratio since uh, they first started taking this survey in 1978. 60% acute leukemia. 80% of the patients are from northern Japan and the Kanto area. Fukushima has the highest rate. Then Ibaraka, 
Tochigi, and Tokyo. The chairman of the Medical Association has said, quote, the connection between unusual increases of leukemia and Fukushima is not clear, end quote. Don't ask me why he would say that other than CYA, cover your ass. Um, but to clear up the confusion of this, there was a Japanese citizen who stepped forward and asked the Ministry of Health, Labor, and Welfare for the truth, to which it, they received the answer that how they do this study is that they take all patient statistics, but this year they eliminated the data from Fukushima and part of Miyagi from the whole statistics report uh, purportedly to support the reconstruction of Fukushima and Miyagi. So in other words, these statistics that we have about the increase do not take into account statistics on leukemia coming out of Fukushima and Miyagi, which are the areas most closely impacted by this. Uh, and the Minister of Health, Labor, and Welfare does not give any more specific reasons why the study was done in this way. Okay, I think we can have conjectures on that, but we don't need to. Meanwhile, more stories are starting to come out about people who have been impacted by leukemia, which is the first of the uh, radiation-based cancer um, illnesses that show up after exposure to low-level radiation, or in this case, much higher-level radiation. There is a wrestler in Fukushima who now has been diagnosed with my myelocytic leukemia, he won a silver medal at an Asian Wrestling League competition in Koshu last year, only 30 years old. Uh, he trained in Fukushima. He first fell ill in early September, and he was diagnosed um, with leukemia during a medical test on the 10th of September. Uh, another leukemia case, uh, we reported last week on the confusion with the uh, man who wrote for Rod and Reel magazine that um, uh, at first it was reported on Fukushima Diary that he had camped out in Fukushima and he was fishing and he was eating the fish and he was all very happy to be able to support uh, Fukushima in this way and uh, he died. So the initial story that came out was that he died after having eaten fish and camping out in Fukushima. Immediately, the publication came back and said, no, 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 that's not the case, that's not the case. It didn't happen that way. So I reported on the confusion on this story last week. However, um, in his memorial article, which was on Rod and Reel, it is clearly written, quote, try, this, is from, this is his very words, trying to save up money for hotel and food. Better spend on transporting. I want to stay here as long as possible. Of course, I don't have a bath. Just jump in the river pond. Go wherever I want to go. Fish until I can't fish. Camping. When I'm hungry, I fish and eat it. And there is a picture of him in the water with an extremely large fish that looks like it's more than three feet long. And he looks very happy at having um, caught that fish Unfortunately, he's no longer alive. Uh, and then the there's a mayor near Fukushima who has died. He'd recently been hospitalized for weeks with enteritis, which is a disease that affected many of the people who worked at Chernobyl. Uh, a study carried out by the World Health Organization of liquidators in the Russian Federation found a statistically significant increase in blood and endocrinal I hope that's pronounced right, diseases, as well as a significant increase in gastroenteritis, infections and parasite-related diseases. According to Russian information, many invalided, in other words, they were made invalids, liquidators, 
suffer from inflammatory gastroenteritis. And that is what Mayor Li Chuan Rin of Nasu in Tochigi Prefecture uh, died of um, as of the story on December 5th. And um, just another report, uh, at least, uh, and this again from Fukushima Diary, uh, a citizen in Tokyo had a urine check and uranium, strontium, and zirconium were detected. This person said she was very careful about what she ate or drank. She made sure to wear a mask when she went out. She ate only vegetables from western Japan, mostly from Kyushu, and chose rice made that was grown in 2010. She drank only bottled water. And she had all of those showing up. Um, Finally, this last bit on radiation before we go to our interview today is uh, it regards a study that was done of the food being given to uh, students. Uh, the government was testing uh, milk from uh, various uh, schools, elementary, middle, kindergarten, and nursery schools uh, in the Chiyoga-ku, uh, which is one of 23 special wards in Tokyo. It's special because the schools there and this particular uh, ward is dedicated to extremely elite, upper-class, diplomats, um, royalty, industrialists, the highest of the high, send their children to these to these schools. Um, a normal person in Japan can only dream of being able to send their child to these schools. So despite the protest from the milk industry and milk distributors, um, this special ward conducted an analysis of the food served in the school lunches. At one private nursery school, they found uh, 17.9 becquerels of radioactive cesium uh, in the milk. This is over 160 times, that's 160 times, the EPA's maximum contaminant level. So, in other words, the elite of Japan, despite their uh, insistence that um, there's nothing going wrong in Japan, will very shortly um, be dealing with the effects on their own children who are being irradiated. Nobody is safe. Nobody is immune. doesn't matter how much money you make uh, or what your politics are or what your, your race, your age, your sexuality. If radiation's out there and it finds you, it is going to have a detrimental effect on your health. So we're going to take a break from the news. There's lots more, especially the United States and international. Plus, uh, I've got some movie recommendations and uh, information on that all-important California initiative and where you can get your petitions to start the uh, signature gathering part of it. But today we have a very special guest for our interview. And that guest is me. And here's why. This podcast today marks the six-month anniversary of weekly podcasts of Nuclear Hot Seat. When I started this back in June, I had no idea how long I was going to be doing this, what I was doing, even if this was a podcast, if anybody was interested. But I kept doing it for all this time, and it has had a major impact, certainly on my life and on the lives of people who have been following this podcast. Just so that you know, we now get downloads or have subscribers in Japan, Germany, India, the UK, France, all over North America, even down to Central America. Uh, not quite sure about Australia or New Zealand. We're working on that as well. Um, these are people who are interested in hearing what's happening in the news from my perspective because there is no other aggregate podcast broadcast out there. 
And in the news blackout that is happening uh, in the mainstream media, all we have is our alternatives online for as long as we have them, and that's what I'm dedicated to. So in the six months that I have been doing this and watching the nuclear world intensely on a week-by-week, day-by-day basis, what I've come to realize is that no one in a position of genuine power and authority cares one whit about whether we all get radioactive or not. The fixes in, much like the Occupy movement has been bringing to our attention, that um, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, for example, sounds very official, they get 90% of their funding from the nuclear industry. So they are paid to regulate the industry that is paying them. Not a lot of incentive there for holding feet to the fire and making changes. I have seen this story disappear almost entirely from mainstream media, even when it was hot and fresh. I have learned that Hillary Clinton, and I was a Hillary supporter from way back, uh, in her role as Secretary of State, had a meeting with the uh, Trade Commission in Japan back in April, and they came to an agreement there that the United States, for reasons of trade and the economy, were going to downplay Fukushima, would put no additional restraints on trade with Japan, would not do any additional testing, and indeed that was about the time that all radiational testing that had previously been done by our government disappeared, leaving it to citizen activists to fill in the void with little Geiger counters that they record and then show up on videos on, on, on Facebook. Any attempt to bring this information out into the public is met almost immediately with naysayers, either people who have been programmed into believing that nuclear energy is quote-unquote clean, green, and safe, which are three lies in one sentence in three words, because it is neither clean, green, nor safe, uh, or people who are intentionally in the pay or under the sway of the nuclear industry. There's a lot of money at stake here. And as I read recently in uh, a book called The Man Who Would Not Die, which is the story of Joe Hill, he was a, an organizer, a union organizer, uh, back in the, um, in the aughts and the teens. Uh, and a controversial figure for some, this is a really good book, but in part it pointed out that the crime that was being committed by Joe and the others who were part of his movement was that they were, if they were successful, they would be reducing the amount of money taken in by the very wealthy. And the last thing these people want to see is a ding to their income. Any change in the way the nuclear industry is structured right now is going to be a, a ding again to the income of these people. And they would rather put all that money to bear in squashing the rest of us. Um, as we saw with the initiative that Ben Davis Jr. put together for the state of California, he had um, great wording in there. He had a perspective. He had a way that he wanted to go with it. But it had to include a fiscal analysis. And the fiscal analysis put together by the Attorney General's office, and uh, there's a, I forget the letters of it, but the financial office, um, Basically, it said, you know, you're all going to go back to the Stone Age. There'll be rolling blackouts. You're going to, you know, blah blah blah. It's going to cost gazillion dollars, and uh, and you're not going to like the way your lives look. So just forget it. I mean, scary, scary language. We can't get rid of it. We've found out through Ben that this write-up 
came at the advice of somebody who was on the commission to inform the – I can't do this as well as Ben could do it. But the bottom line is that the advice on this came from somebody who's the former head of PGE. Uh, Pacific Gas and Electric. In other words, he turned to somebody in the nuke industry who has interest in the nuke industry and said, gee, do you think this is a good idea and what's it going to do? And the worst possible wording was included. So there are a lot of powers arrayed against us. What this has done is certainly moved me from being a middle-class person with rather, you know, leftist views, you know, moderate, liberal, you know, ex-hippie, grown-up, and I still lean to the left quite a bit, it's turned me to somebody who, uh, I can't believe anything government says anymore. Coupled with what's happening with the Occupy movement, and it's like, wow, the veil has been lifted. I can see in a different way. And my government certainly does not have my best interests at heart. It may be government of, by, and for the people, but it looks an awful lot more like it's government of, by, and for the moneyed elite, the corporations, to keep the money and use it against those people who are just trying to preserve our health. The horror of this is that the nuclear industry is playing loose and fast, not just with our health, not just with our lives, but truly with the future of life on Earth. Chernobyl, after 25 years, is still a dead zone. There's an exclusionary zone where Mother Nature has taken it back, but the animals are radioactive. A radioactive boar that dies in the forest there has to be disposed of as radioactive waste and has to be treated as a hazmat. Um, of the animals that are living there, it's been found that birds have smaller brains. These are just the early studies that are starting to come out. We know that radiation has impact. The problem is that we don't see the impact immediately. There's a disconnect between cause and effect, which creates a huge, huge avenue for deniability by the nuclear industry. And all we have are a whole bunch of volunteers, um, a few people who are paid activists who are at the head of large organizations, but they aren't being paid, you know, the hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars that corporate people are getting. They're getting, you know, a relatively living wage for working 18-hour days doing something that they love and that their hearts are invested in. So, you know, we're the good guys. It's David and Goliath. We're David, but I want to remind everyone, David won. We have to maintain focus. We have to find our talking points. We have to find our ways into one-on-one -on -one conversations and putting things into letters to the editor and putting comments in on comment section on blogs and online, posting on Facebook, posting on Twitter, and engaging people in the conversation. Because that's the only way we're going to grow, from the grassroots up with awareness. I've recently been made aware that young people today think that radiation is a good thing because isn't radiation a treatment for cancer? Now, I know a whole lot of holistic practitioners who would like to jump all over that one. The problem is that with that as the background, these younger people who didn't go through all of the Cold War propaganda of the 50s and the early 60s don't understand that radiation is dangerous. We have to build that as a talking point. We have to build as a point that there is no way to get rid of this radiational waste, and we are stuck with it for as long as 240,000 years in the case of plutonium. 
we need to make the case that we are trading perhaps 50 years of cheap energy. Relative, and it's really not cheap because we're paying for subsidies. The taxpayers are paying for subsidies to have the plants built. And on the far side, after decades of gleaning all of the, the um, uh, profits from these plants, we are the ones who are going to have to pay for any kind of cleanup and any kind of dismantling because it's law through the um, uh, Price-Anderson Act. I don't have the notes in front of me. I'm trying to remember this. I think it's the Price-Anderson Act that uh, liability for the nuclear industry is limited at a very low level in the millions where Japan's cleanup is estimated to cost a quarter of a trillion dollars if they can even get it cleaned up, and that's just a, an estimate as of about uh, a month and a half ago. So it's not cheap energy, and we're trading maybe 50 years of nuclear energy for eons upon eons upon eons of nuclear waste, which there's genetic impact, there's all kinds of things. What we can do instead of fall into the fear, because this is scary stuff. This is, this is the scariest stuff that's out there as far as I'm concerned. When I was first listening to this information and learning it, it certainly almost broke me in two until I started doing the podcast because by taking the fear and using it as energy to move us forward, we can make a change. We can make people aware. And the more people are aware, the more people will become aware. And we can start our own chain reaction against nuclear energy. It can happen. And it takes everyone within the sound of my voice, within the reach of my Facebook posts, um, and anyone who can get the information from you. So this is just my way of rededicating myself to certainly the next six months and beyond of nuclear hot seat to bring the information to people in the best way that I can, to participate in a growing anti-nuclear movement, and to know that in whatever small way, I'm doing what I can to make a difference. And that's all that anyone can do. It's about progress, not perfection. It's about taking the steps. A journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. We all have to take that single step every day. Because without that, we're standing in one place and say, okay, I'm a victim. I'm not a victim. I'm fighting back. And for as far as this goes and as long as this goes, I am in this. So having had my spew, is there anyone who would like to ask me a question or make a comment or somehow add to the conversation? If you have muted yourself, you can hit star six to unmute yourself. Hello? Hello. Hi. Hey, Tim. How are you? <laughs> well, you can tell I'm steamed up, but I'm happy. Uh, I would like everybody to know uh, this person on the line is Tim. You can add your last name if you wish. And Tim is one of the reasons that I started doing this podcast. When I wanted to do my first one, I posted on Facebook this little teeny tiny thing. I said, if anybody wants to find out whether I should do a podcast or not, please get on this call. And... um I'd like to say the two people got on the call, one of whom I didn't know, that one person I didn't know was Tim. So, Tim, thank you for having been such a faithful supporter of this podcast, and what might I do for you? Uh, no, first, you're very welcome, and I think you touched on it. I mean, I think today it's the programming that we have to get over, how we've been programmed from uh, the day we were born until we finally wake up about what's really happening in the world. And I think, 
you know, you're going your direction with the nuclear uh, hot seat, and I have my own direction I'm going in, and together we're just making a difference and waking up those who uh, choose to wake up. Wait a minute, there's a person talking in the background? If you're on a speakerphone, you're going to have to come a lot closer. Anyway, Tim, I don't I, I don't know who that person is. If they can get on the phone, uh, get closer to the phone and make a comment, that would be great. Um, did you have anything else you wanted to add? No, I like I say, I, I think we just have to somehow break out of the programming that we've been basically no sugarcoating this. We've been lied to all these years about a lot of things, and like you say, the Occupy uh, movement is showing the cracks of that foundation, and there's going to be a lot more cracks in the foundations of a lot of these other uh, corporations and government, and that's just what we have to wake up to the reality, and we have the we have the people in this country that can fix all this, and if they allow us to. Well, so, I mean, that's also That's the hope. Thanks, Tim. Uh, your support over, especially in the uh, first crucial um, two or three months of this podcast, were important to me keeping going. So I appreciate your loyalty and your willingness to be on this call just about every week. Now, did somebody else Thank have you. a question that they wanted to ask or a comment they wanted to make? This is your time if you want to take it. Okay. Thank you for letting me get that off my chest. Next week we're going back to a regular interview format. I will have uh, Gary Hendricks, who is of San Clemente Greens, and he will be talking about activist organizing in local communities and how we can all move forward, uh, especially going towards what is proposed, which is an International Day of Action on 3-11-2012, which is the anniversary of Fukushima. So as I touched upon previously, the petitions are available in the California Ballot Initiative. We have until April 16 to get 504,760 valid registered California voters to sign up. You can go to get copies of this petition, download them and print them out at sanonofresafety.org. That's S-A-N-O-N-O-F like Frank, R-E, safety. Org, and click on the button at the top that says California Nuclear Initiative. That will download the petition. Now print out lots of copies, and you have to include all the material either on two sides of the same paper, or you can print them on individual sheets but staple them together. However, make certain that you also copy and print out the rebuttal to the legislative analysis and director of finance which gives you the verbiage to counter the disastrous wording of the financial analysis that appears on the petition and unfortunately will appear on the ballot should we make it that far. So again, sanonofresafety.org. If you're in the state of California, go out, get all your friends who are registered voters to uh, sign it. And if they're not registered, get them registered and then get them to sign it. So more news out of the United States. Um, we had a report of uh, a notification of unusual event at the North Anna plant. This was the plant, uh, the nuclear reactors that were within 10 miles of the epicenter of the earthquake on the East Coast uh, that took place in August. 
And uh, what happened was a release valve unseated itself and created a leakage uh, in excess of uh, 25 gallons per minute. It was actually 42 gallons per minute. And uh, then they were able to get that corrected. What this points to is that less than one month after being allowed back online, we've had our first unusual event at North Anna. A more than 30-year-old reactor that was shaken to more than twice its design specifications, yet the NRC has allowed to go back online. Uh, we'll continue covering this, but it is uh, not good news. Um, I hope the people in Virginia all have Geiger counters. At the, um, This is from uh, Ohio that federal regulators will allow an Ohio nuclear reactor to reopen after being satisfied that cracks discovered in concrete at the plant don't pose a safety concern. And they are satisfied that the cracks don't pose a safety concern because maybe they're all on some kind of mood-altering substances. Uh, the NRC said on Friday that the operator of the nuclear plant along Lake Erie, the Davis-Bessey nuclear reactors, uh, had given them, quote-unquote, reasonable assurance that cracks found on the outside of the, retain of the reactor containment building doesn't pose a safety threat. Now, the Davis-Bessey plant is outside of Toledo, and it was shut down in October for installation of uh, the 82-ton reactor head. Soon afterwards, crews discovered a 30-foot hairline crack in the outer wall. Uh, but the plant operator, First Energy Corp., says that it will closely monitor the containment building and try and find out what led to the cracks. How about it's an old nuclear reactor and it's starting to decay, meaning it is not as safe as it used to be. Okay, moving on to um, information that came across in a uh, wonderful conference I attended last weekend at on um, uh, Fukushima, uh, the lessons of Fukushima and the media. This was up at San Francisco State University. Um, there was a speaker who was a Japanese, a Korean man living in Japan, and he spoke about the fact that the United States, Japan, and the United Kingdom are all planning on mining uranium in the country of Mongolia. It is four, the country is four times larger in area than Japan, but only has two and a half million people in it who are, for the most part, poorly educated indigenous nomadic people. So they're being promised lots of jobs, lots of money, but not being informed of the dangers of uranium mining. Plus, the final twist is that the plans are to get a deal to return all byproduct nuclear waste to Mongolia for storage. Why not leave the uranium there and not touch it in the first place? Then it has to go anyplace and you don't have to store it. final international piece today is that uh, Greenpeace has uh, breached the security at a French nuclear plant. Uh, it exposed the vulnerability of French nuclear sites after its activists broke into an atomic power station near Paris before being arrested. Uh, now, Greenpeace said they did this in order to show that, um, that there was not security that could be trusted at, in the French nuclear industry. Authorities insisted that the incident had posed no risk because, quote, at no point was there a threat to the integrity of the nuclear installations, according to Interior Ministry spokesman Pierre-Henri Brandet. Um, and it is clear that this reveals lapses in our security system, according to Interior Minister Claude Guerin. However, it, it, uh, in an absolute piece of unintentional irony, this Interior Minister also said about Greenpeace, it is quite irresponsible to take risks with one's lives and the lives of others. 
then why do you have nuclear power plants and why are you supporting them? The Green Party leader thanked the activists for carrying out a quote-unquote free audit of security at French nuclear facilities. The activists proved the weakness of our nuclear stations. Terrorist risks must finally be taken seriously by nuclear authorities and the government. Now, this incident comes at a time when France, which has been a major supporter of nuclear energy, uh, has much of its population beginning to question the country's long-held support for that form of energy. For some activist information, um, I like to look at what the other side is saying. And here's a talking point that has already started showing up and that we need to counter. They said, uh, this is according to um, uh, a report that I get from the World Nuclear Association. And the talking point is, quote, the tsunami of 11 March was the, quote, direct cause of the accident at the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power plant. It dismissed the idea that the earthquake damage was a major factor in the accident. Yet there were whistleblowers who came forth and said that the pipes had broken at the plant and were spewing radioactive water in, re- in reaction to the, um, the earthquake itself. That's what broke the pipes. So these workers were already running out of the plant to avoid the radioactive water before the tsunami hit. Did the tsunami make it worse? Undoubtedly. But there was already serious damage to the nuclear plant beforehand. This is a talking point that's going to be coming to us a lot. Uh, and we need to just be aware and to counter that with the knowledge that the actual cause of the damage was initially the earthquake. Now, I always like to include a holistic health tip, and this comes from uh, acupuncturist and herbalist Gina Haber of Pasadena. And that is the power of baking soda to impact our health when it comes to exposure to radiation. The first way is to take a bath with baking soda in it because this will help leach out anything that has, it will wash off what is on the body, it will leach out what has been absorbed by the body. Uh, she suggested that about half a box per bath and to soak for a good 10 to 15 minutes in water as hot as you can possibly make it. Um, this will help make the body more alkaline. If you feel that you have been exposed to radiation, it's good to do this three times a week. If you want to just do a maintenance dose, you can take a baking soda bath one time a week. And uh, if you love hot baths as I do, three times a week is absolutely no hardship. It makes your skin very silky, and it's good for your health. The other thing that you can do is to help keep your body uh, at an internal alkaline pH level. Uh, disease and illness and cancer and the like happen when the body is in an acid pH condition. Uh, the more alkaline you can be, the better it is for your health. So uh, a good idea is to take a teaspoon of baking soda and dissolve it in water or juice. Drink it every day. You can sip it throughout the day. You can take it one glug in the morning and take it down. But these are just some things we can do because radiation exposure can lead to cancer. The best thing to do is to take as many preventive measures as you can so that in survival of the fittest, you will survive because we need each and every one of you. Uh, finally, this word from uh, Eileen, who is one of our correspondents on uh, Nuclear Hot Seat on the Facebook page. Uh, she has brought to our attention that on December 8th, which is two days from now, it's Thursday, there is going to be a hearing in New York City on, quote, to examine the impact of the potential closure of IPEC, IPEC, the Indian Point Energy Center, where they get these names from, it's 
Anyway, uh, the Indian Point Energy Center on New York's economy and electrical system and identify alternatives to offset or replace power provided by Indian Point. Uh, this is taking place on December 8th at 10 in the morning at the Assembly Hearing Room at 250 Broadway, room 1923 on the 19th floor. And um, you are invited. The public is invited to attend. Just to refresh our thoughts on this, Indian Point is just over 25 miles from Manhattan. And if an evacuation should be required, there's no way all those people could get away from any potential nightmare that could happen there. Um, the last time there was a public hearing on this, it took place in Buchanan, New York, in June, and there were over 500 protesters. So let's see how many can show up at this one, and we look forward to Eileen giving us more information on that. So, in closing, oh, I want to let you know, entertainment is always important in getting our message out and also keeping our spirits up because the kind of issues we're dealing with here have been explored in other times in other media. So I have four pieces of entertainment to recommend. The first one is a play which has also been made into a movie written by Arthur Miller, the same man who wrote Death of a Salesman. This is called All My Sons. And uh, a simple pricey would be that karma plays out for a World War II manufacturer of airplane parts. Uh, it's a powerful, powerful piece of theater. It's available online as a free movie downline. Or if you can locate the James Whitmore version that played on PBS many years ago, I believe it's available on Amazon. Uh, that is really a superior version of it to watch. Next, An Enemy of the People by Heinrich Ibsen. This is the story of a beloved town doctor who must report that the waters of the town's health spa are being seriously and dangerously polluted by 19th century technology just upstream. And as a result of his courage in saying these things, the town turns against him. There is a free 1966 version of An Enemy of the People on YouTube. Uh, Steve McQueen starred and directed a version which you can get on Amazon but reportedly is not anywhere near as good. When in doubt, read the play. It's a very good read. For people who are in alignment with the uh, Occupy movement, I suggest taking a look at the movie Battleship Potemkin by Sergei Eisenstein. Uh, this movie is available for free on Hulu. It's a silent film, black and white, but it is often cited as one of the most powerful films of the silent era. And it is about the power of people and individual action to change the outcome of a social battle. Now, this is set against the background of the Russian Revolution. Put any of your, your hesitation about, you know, communism or the propaganda with that on hold. Just watch the dynamics that happen when people decide to appeal to each other as people as opposed to functionaries of government. Very powerful. And finally, a recent film that was released on 11-11-11, I think at 11-11 in the morning, uh, is the film Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E. And it presents what I consider to be the unified field theory of what's happening in the world and why things are not getting any better. Uh, information is power, and this is an immensely powerful film. You can check it out on YouTube, or you can go to the website thrivemovement.com. A lot of good resources there. So in closing, doing the nuclear math, this is day 270-270 for each of the three melted-down nuclear reactors at Fukushima, meaning there have been 810 nuclear leak days, 270 times three, three reactors, two, 810 nuclear leak days since Fukushima began. We are well over two years of radi radiational leakage with the prediction that we're already in or seriously approaching China syndrome. 
And remember, it ain't over yet. This has been Nuclear Hot Seat for Tuesday, December 6, 2011. You can find us and links to previous programs by going to the Nuclear Hot Seat group page on Facebook. Um, we are up on iTunes, and you can subscribe for free, so you never need to miss a single one. And if you have a lead to a story or information to share, join our growing army of on-the-ground reporters around the world. You can send a message on the Nuclear Hot Seat page on Facebook, and I will get back to you. So in closing on the six-month anniversary of the start of Nuclear Hot Seat, this is Lee B. Halevi of Hardestry Communications, the heart of the art of communicating, reminding you that we've all had our nuclear wake-up call. Now, do not Go back to sleep. Be safe. Be well. I'll talk with you next week. Bye-bye.